So, Dean, good to see you again. Great to see uh, you too, Amarato. And so, uh, you've got kind of a, a question because you've been reading um, the Anapanasati uh, book uh, for serious beginners. That's uh, that's a book that is um, um, available. Uh, it was done in 1988 uh, through a set of, of talks or lectures that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa gave to a group of Westerners where Santikaro is more or less uh, translating uh, line by line openly. Um, and then later it was put into a book form uh, including taking Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's part out. Um, now, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa did not know English very well, but he knew it a little bit, and that in fact, in some places, he actually, um, he, he contradicts and, and uh, um, corrects Santikaro's translations. Okay, so this is showing that Santicaro is still quite new to that. He ordained in 19 in 1985, and so this is 1988. He's only been a monk and only been into it for a short time. But you can see, in fact, that the word um, serious, like serious beginners, even in Thai language, the word serious is not the correct word. I mean, um, uh, when we when we say in English, are you serious? We say it in the way of, um, is that correct? Or are you sure? But in Thailand, it has the flavor of uh, emotion to it in the sense that when you're arguing something, you get really serious. Hang on a second. So uh, we want to make sure of the kind of language that we would want to use for that. A better translation would be for um, enthusiastic beginners. Okay. But in fact, if we take it in the sense of serious, that's where the kind of questions that you're asking comes from. Is, is uh, the questions that often ask have that intention of being serious about it, getting it right, wanting to know exactly how to do it. Okay. And that a better way of looking at it is to have enthusiasm and make it into a game and have it more playful. So that so it has the quality of experimenting and learning because we're playing with it, okay? So an example would be, what's the correct way of taking the doll's dress off of the doll? The answer for a three-year-old is just whatever it takes. So they'll pull the arms and they'll pull the head off and they'll take that dress right off. But adults were saying, oh, well, we're going to put extra instructions in there. Not only do you have to take the dress off, but you can't kill or murder or dismember the doll. 
Why? Because we have the idea that the doll is a representation of a human and we don't have to behead people to take their clothes off. Right? Okay. And so you can see that that kind of stuff sneaks into the mind state that gives rise to the asking the kind of questions that you're asking about contemplating the breath to where in fact that word contemplating the breath while it's correct it's it's incorrect in the sense that it's too correct it's proper it's the right uh, way of talking about it but contemplation can actually be softened into a playful investigation to look at it to understand it okay so from that we can look at where Goenka's scanning technique comes from because they started I mean they've gotten it really really down to uh, um, uh, an, an order of events in the sense that they start at the top of the head. In fact, Goenka will say, if you cannot feel the top of your head, then go ahead and touch it to feel what it feels like and then remember what it feels like in the sense of continuing to have that sensation at the top of the head. And then they begin to move down around the face and the ears, sometimes going oh so very slowly, getting down into the chest cavity and maybe after five or so minutes, so get down to the legs. Very, very slow, methodical, which means not at all according to the breath itself. But the whole idea of scanning the body has to do with the scanning it using the breath. And so one of the ways we can talk about that also is what's called chasing or following the breath in the sense that you start up here as you begin to take an in-breath and as you fill up you get more attuned to the body's um, cavity of air the diaphragm you can feel the body move out in expansion the back will move everything about the body moves when we're breathing in fact sitting quietly breathing correctly about the only thing the body is doing in the sense of movement is the breathing apparatus and so we want to pay attention to it in in that regard and also in the regard that it's keeping us alive that this is being alive being alive is breathing and the whole point about being alive is being conscious that if you're completely unconscious out of it completely then there's no value in being alive but if you are alive, then you can be conscious that there is no consciousness without that life there. And so you could say that consciousness then is kind of a nutriment to being alive, just like food would be a nutriment for being alive. OK, so if if the uh, being alive is where it's at, then how do we know we're being alive is by uh, experiencing the breathing that is keeping us alive. So now we've got that angle to it. We can also, I mean, here's an interesting question, Dean. Do you actually enjoy being alive? I mean, if you had a choice, would you be alive or dead? Oh, yes, I'd rather be alive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Okay, so we're going someplace with this. 
because the experience of being alive and the experience of breathing and giving that breath, that life force is part of the pleasure, part of the uh, sukha that we're developing. And so we want to actually appreciate that we're alive, that we actually want to be alive. We enjoy being alive. We're grateful for the fact that ever how badly we've screwed up so far, it wasn't so bad that we'd already died from it. It was still alive. We haven't clutched ourselves to death yet. Right? And so there's a congratulations. We're still alive. We haven't done something really stupid yet. And so this is where the Anapanasati is coming in with this breathing is the fact that it's part of being alive and enjoying being alive and know that you're alive and appreciate being alive and appreciate that that's enough right now. Being alive means that we don't have to be afraid that in fact when we're afraid then we're afraid to lose life and that fear of losing life is not the same as the appreciation and the gratitude for being alive. So this is the way to go with it is to to give appreciation for the fact that you're alive, knowing that you're going to be dead. And we can appreciate the body and the breath, knowing that the breathing is keeping us alive and keeping us safe. I mean, you'd be in pretty hard times if all of a sudden the the air that you had in the room was poisonous or carbon dioxide and no oxygen there. Okay, that's a dangerous situation to be in. But the air on the planet Earth has got lots of oxygen in it, and so it's fairly safe to breathe. And so this is the way we begin to think of it, that the air around us is life itself. It's the life force. And experimenting with that, with the breathing and playing with it and talking to ourselves about it. Being in the here now is being alive. Being in the here now is being in the senses so that we can feel the body breathing. We can see with the eyes and that we're here now. Here's the funny thing, you you know, most people do cling to life, except that they spend so many mind moments not appreciating being alive in this present moment, but they're doing stuff about the past and the future. They're almost like, I've got to get everything done. I've got to get it all planned out and all worked out, and then I can enjoy being alive. But I can't enjoy being alive until I got everything fixed. And that's the way that we're taught in our society, like you got to eat your vegetables before you can have dessert. Right? That's the whole idea. You got to go put the work in and then you can get your reward. So this delayed gratification is part of our culture and we wind up spending most of our time continuing to delay to get all the work done so that someday we can relax. Someday we can appreciate being alive. Like the Christians have this heaven thing. What is heaven? I guess it's the appreciation of being alive after you're dead. 
You can't take the money out of the bank until the bank burns down, you know. <laughs> and so what we're changing all around here is to appreciate that you're rich with life right now. You're wealthy. You can go take the money out of the bank anytime that you want to. In fact, every breath is like drawing on that to your deposit. And so this is the attitude that we want to have and that that attitude kind of gets lost in words like contemplating the breath. But in fact, that's what we've been doing for the past five minutes. I've just been contemplating out loud the breath. Giving you the benefits and recognizing that you can appreciate these benefits, that you can enjoy, that you can be here now in the reality of the present moment rather than spending your time now trying to get a future present moment that's good enough. And so this is why we have also the quality of the work that needed to be done has been done already. The job has been done now. What is that? Well, I guess that means the job that needed to be done was to destroy the to-do list. <laughs> that was the only job we had was to tear up our to-do list. All the problems that we have in life are disposable. We, we write down all of the problems on our to-do list and then we chuck it. And that's the only work that we've got to do is to throw out the work that needs to be done in the future. And instead, we can just be present. And the only thing much that's happening in the present moment is you're still breathing. And so that's why it's so enjoyable just to lay in bed or sitting up and just. Yeah, I'm still alive, still alive. The breathing still works. So this is why the whole practice is actually based on the breathing. Anapanasati is an integral part of the practice. But in fact, we have to change the words that we're using. We have to come out of the hindrances into the present moment, which means we stop talking about the past. We stop hindering ourselves from being present. And now the language that we're going to use is the language of the present moment. This is nice. Wow, I like this. No place to go and nothing to do. <sighs> and we can just relax. Okay, and so that's the way that we contemplate the breath is through the enjoyment of it, playing with it, experiencing it, having fun with it. Let it be life nourishing. Can you relax. Go ahead. Of playing with it. And I, because I've heard you saying play with the breath before, would that be having some short breaths and then having some long breaths and see what you enjoy more or something like that? Sure. Absolutely. Experiment. Because Buddha Dasa does say practice all the. He might not might not say it in this in these words, but he says try out different types of long breaths. What are the different types of long breaths? I only know one type of long breath. Well, not maybe not. But well, when you play with it, you'll learn more. 
That's okay. the whole point is experiment and play with it. Have fun with the breathing. Well, that's, re that's really the whole practice in a nutshell then, really, is it? There's nothing to it much because, see, the, the, the point is, is that so many of us are goal-oriented. We're trying to get something. And we're changing that around is there's no goals because the goal, really, the only real goal there was, you just met it. You just met the goal. You just arrived at the station. What do you do when you do finish, when you have the goal, when you won the race? You celebrate. So let's develop a celebration because the work's been done. And we're here now. Right here, right now. The job that needed to be done has been done. And we have then development that, that sense of accomplishment. This is it. This is good enough. And if I can do it now, I can do it again later. And so the confidence begins to grow. But there's no actual right way to do it in the sense of a rule or a schedule or a particular procedure or correct contemplation or any of that kind of stuff. That's why I keep taking those words out of it and put the word playful. So we're not looking for being serious about this. Because if we're serious about it, then uh, we're just going to wind up continuing to be serious. If we're playful about it, then we wind up having a life that's full of joy and playfulness. That's the new habit that we're developing. All right. Uh-huh. So there's really nothing to it. You're making it more work than it actually is. So, yeah, so like in the book, now I'm only in, I'm only reading the first one or two. I'm only down as far as the first one or two steps, but we don't really need to look at it in the sense of steps then. We just really need to just enjoy, enjy the breath and don't but, worry about steps. Uh, one of the most common mistakes that's made is, is that we see Anapanasati, the way that it's taught in order of the Satipatthana with the body, the feelings, the mind, and the mind's objects actually in separate sections of the book. We, got the, we get the idea that that has something to do with the chronological order of practice. And that's not correct. The chronological order of practice is actually specified in the Eightfold Noble Path, not in Anapanasati. The Eightfold Noble Path means sati, to wake up and look at what we're doing, to be in the attitude of looking. Open the eyes, open the mind door, look at what's going on, and then make a change. Okay, so... What was the change? Well, we were thinking about the past, and now I'm thinking about the breath. I'm thinking about the present moment. So, in fact, to be able to watch the breath, you've got to add mental components. You've got to remember to watch the breath. And what is watching the breath and what is controlling the breath? It's if you're controlling the breath by taking a deep breath or a short breath, that means that you're controlling the mind 
to make the, to control the body. So it's it's interconnected. And that eventually we begin to look at and see those interconnections, which would be step eight. Step seven and eight of Anapanasati is to see what is called the, the mind conditioner, which is the body feelings. But also the mind conditions the mind, but the mind conditions feelings. Uh, so, control in the breath controls the body. What do you mean by that? Because, like, yeah, what do you mean no, by that? No, the mind controls the breath. Yeah, and then the that but doesn't. How does that affect the body? Because well, if you're breathing well, then you'll get the body oxygenated. If you're breathing really shallow then you're building up carbon dioxide in the body and not getting enough oxygen. And we tend to go to sleep because we're oxygen deprived. Okay, so the breath does control and uh, let us use the word at least condition. The body, the, uh, the, breath, the breath does not cause the existence of the body, but it does condition the body. And the body conditions feelings. An easy way to see that is, is that when the body is ill, then we feel bad. But in fact, it's hard for us to even distinguish the distinction between the body being ill and us feeling bad. That's how deeply interconnected they are. But you can, in fact, have the body be ill and you don't feel bad. You're really glad. Oh, I'm so happy that I can be have a sick day today. I don't have to work. Ha ha. I'm too sick to go to work. And so. <laughs> all right. So that's a that's a state of mind. But normally when we're sick, we feel bad. We don't have to feel bad. That's our choice. If we can take the choice, if we can see that we do have a choice. Otherwise, the natural way or the normal way is the instinctual way to let the body mandate. Okay, here's another one. When somebody is really angry, it's hard for them to think straight. Why? Because when they're angry, they're ready, the body is getting ready for fight and flight and all the blood drains out of the face into the body so that they can get ready to go do something. And what they really need to do in our society is probably answer a question, but they can't because they're angry. They're ready for violence when violence is not appropriate. And so that's why people, uh, um, let us say, are confused and, and upset when they get angry is because they can't think straight. The same thing actually is true about after a meal. You've heard it about swimming. Don't go swimming right after a meal. Let the body do some digestion. Same thing is true, by the way, about um, uh, work or intellectual related things that if you eat then uh the body is trying to digest the food all the blood's in the belly and it's hard to think straight for about 10 or 20 minutes better to have an hour for lunch so that you can eat and then let the body rest and then it's ready for work so these are various ways that the body conditions the feelings conditions the mind and you can have a choice with that conditioning. If you are awake to look at it, you have a choice to change it or not. But if we're asleep and not watching what's going on, 
then those conditioners run rampant and uh, we wind up in mental and physical states that we don't have any choice about that we would change if we did have a choice about it. And so in this regard, Anapanasati is a complete practice, but it needs to be repeated over and over and over and over again because the mind will normally go back to the old habits easily. And so we have to keep coming back into the here now, keep watching the breath, keep enjoying being alive, keep being here now. And over time, those um, old habits, those old thoughts of protection and fixing things so that I can feel good begin to change and we can just feel good without having to fix anything other than our own mind. All right. Okay, so in this regard, don't take that book of Anapanasati as the way of going. In fact, I would recommend read the whole book before you try to practice anything that's in the book. Wait and at least read the mind part first. Okay, the Sita Nupasana, the third section of the book. Read that first. Right, well, I'm only reading small bits and pieces at a time, a couple of minutes a day. Okay, but don't read it through, okay? That that book is a reference book. It's not a novel. Okay, it's a reference book. It's like a dictionary. How many people do you know read a dictionary starting with the letter A? No, we don't read dictionaries like that. We okay. use them as reference books. Encyclopedias, we use them as reference. So use the Anapanasati Sutta as a reference, not as a, a guide. And okay. don't use that book as a uh, uh, reading straight through. You do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, because it's not laid out that way. The way to practice it is according to the Eightfold Noble Path, which is sati, and then wake up, and then look, and then make a change, and then appreciate that change. And we apply that to all four steps of Anapanasati. We apply that to the body, we apply that to the feeling, we apply that first to the mind. To wake up, take a look at how you're breathing, and then take a deeper breath, make a change. Look up, wake up, what kind of thoughts you're having, make a change to the thoughts. The same then with the, with the, the feelings in. Look at the fear and recognize that you got yourself into the state of fear and you can get yourself out of it. Aha, I see that fear. Let me take a deep breath and breathe out that fear. Let me change the kind of thoughts that I'm having instead of thinking about the kinds of things that will make me feel dangerous. Let's have thoughts that make us feel safe and secure. Right? So the body, the feeling, and the mind all work together and are not to be taken in a particular order, but rather the order that we do it is with the Anapanas, with, excuse me, with the uh, Eightfold Noble Path. And so be careful when you're reading the book 
to not think that it's 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 in, by the way that it's written by the order in which it's written is not an indication of how it should be practiced or the order in which it's practiced and in fact someplace in that book uh bhikkhu buddhadasa would probably talk about the sambo john of the seven factors of enlightenment and that's also an indication of the order of how it should be practiced sati comes first investigation comes second Effort becomes third, and pity and sukha come fourth, and then relaxation of the body comes fifth, and then unification of the mind comes sixth, and then equanimity or balance comes seventh. So that's the order of things. Rather than the body being first, and then the mind, and then the feelings, or whatever order. The, the joke is, in fact, would you be at a retreat where you would only bring the body into the meditation hall and let the body or let the mind and the feelings stay in the in the bed? And then tomorrow I'll bring the feelings in and let the body and the mind stay in the bed. Oh, no, you got to bring it all in there. And a lot of people think, oh, I've got to practice the body for year after year, like uh, Goenka's retreat is Anapana for the first three days and then the scanning and scanning, and that's about all they do. They get stuck on the first three steps of Anapanasati, where in fact correct practice is, is that we've got to do it all every session. We've got to pay attention to the mind, got to pay attention to the breathing, got to pay attention to the body, got to pay attention to the feelings. All of that working together brings us into the state of the first jhana. So that should help you with that in the sense of don't see the book as the order of practice. Like I said, read the whole book before you practice any of it. Or better still, read it twice. So well, that you can well, obviously, I'm going to be practicing my long deep enjoyable breath for last breath. So, like, I'm not going to stop my meditation now until I finish the book, but I understand what you're saying. Okay. Right, go read the, the, the mind part of the book before you read the body part. I'm only on like 107 or anything like that. So, the first law of it was just to go to the best system. I tell you one thing, it doesn't seem like Buddha Dasa took the middle path by looking at the first hundred pages of the book. What about the middle path? Well, he seems like with some of the suggestions he was given in the first hundred pages of the book, it doesn't seem like there was a middle path. It seems like it was a bit more extreme than a middle path. I know. That's because of the reader's interpretation of it. That, in fact, um, here's another point, is, is that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa spoke common, almost low-class language, Southern Thai. And that the translators, though, the uh, Americans mostly, 
are all scholars. They're all highly educated. Um, and so they take this low class tie and polish it up to university language. Okay, so that book is university language, but the original tie was pretty low class. When you said Okay. Well, let's let's practice that way that we're talking about here is to stop putting the emphasis upon what the book itself says and get a good handle on what is the practice that it's talking about. And once you understand the practice that is that we're talking about here, then you can go practice that. But practicing while you're trying to figure out what it is that you're practicing is very much like trying to change the tire on a on a truck while it's rolling down the highway. It's kind of hard to do. So the better thing to do is just to figure out it's a very simple practice. And so figuring out what it is to practice. Now, here's something that I've heard just recently. <laughs> this is funny. And that is, is that stupid people love complexity. That the wise would refer, would prefer to see things as fitting together unified. But stupid people like complexity. Stupid people like diversity. I guess one of the ways of, or one of the reasons is, is that if it's complex enough, then it's okay for them to not understand it. They feel bad if it's really simple and they still don't understand it. So they want to make it really complex so it's okay that they don't understand it, okay? So that's a way of reading that book. That book can, can appear quite complicated. But Bhikkhu Buddha Das is actually talking about something that's quite simple. And so taking the work out of it and getting it right and getting all the words correct and coming to the point of just being a three-year-old just playing with a toy. And that'll make it really simple for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Just enjoy being alive. That's the contemplation. It's, wow, we're still alive. Hey, I can breathe. Wow, this feels good. Watch me breathe, Daddy. Watch me breathe. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so well, I'm into Thanks very much for taking the call, and I leave you. Dane, this has been a really joyful call. Thank you for call calling. I really appreciate it, and we'll see you later. Okay.